Hello and welcome to the 49th episode of the Five Things Podcast. Why are we talking about it as the 49th episode? Because next week will be our 50th episode. And we have something special planned for all of you. You know what else is special? Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas from our friends here at Gray. If you haven't listened to the first two seasons of Gray Matter, it's available wherever you get podcasts. I listen to my podcasts on Spotify. Other people listen to their podcasts on places like Stitcher or Apple Music or other places. But you can find Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So check out seasons one and two. With that, let's dive in to the five things. I am joined this week by my friends and trusty co-pilots, snowed in to wherever, not snowed in, snowed in to wherever we are snowed in. I've got Beth and Amanda here. Hi, Beth. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kenny. That was in stereo, and I enjoyed it. We are Uh, snowed. We are snowed in in New York. I love it. Well, it has been a very, very busy week in the world of marketing and social and digital. Uh, Let's talk about the five things. This week, we learned that the FTC sued Facebook. Ooh. We also found out that Reddit acquired Dub Smash. Amazing news. Twitter acquired the app Squad. I'm here with my squad. Instagram announced Reels shopping. Very cool. And then finally, the moment you've all been waiting for, get your virtual playbill. Because the viral Ratatouille musical announced a real-life debut. Very exciting stuff. So with that, let's dive into the five things. Beth, talk about FTC suing Facebook. Yeah, so this has been kind of brewing in the news for a while. I'm going to read some of it so I make sure I get this exactly right. But the FTC on December 9th sued Facebook, um, alleging that the company is illegally maintaining its personal social network monopoly through a years-long course of anti-competitive conduct. So essentially meaning that they have bought up so many businesses that they are now qualifying as kind of breaking antitrust laws. The last time we saw an antitrust legislation kind of situation happen was with AT&T. So We haven't had anything like this in a long time, and it'll be interesting because a lot of these mergers, for example, Instagram and WhatsApp, were previously approved um, through the FTC and other government organizations. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of step back from that. Um, And if this goes through, there's potential that Um, Facebook will have to sell off and disseminate some of its assets, meaning WhatsApp could no longer be part of Facebook or Instagram could also not be a part of Facebook. So very interesting. Um, I think another thing that really catches me with this whole situation is the fact that social media networks are no longer obviously are no longer just for entertainment and kind of 
companies that can fly under the radar, they are now qualifying for antitrust laws. So what do you guys think? Long time coming. Yeah. I think that all of the congressional hearings, all of the FTC investigations, everything that's been going on, I mean, this has been a long time coming. I think um, proponents of a free and open social media space have been talking about this for a long time, whether founded or unfounded. So I think it's a very interesting uh, way to enter into the new year. We talked a lot on this podcast about um, the need for the social networks to step up in 2021, coming out of the election, coming out of Black Lives Matter, uh, to stop the spread of disinformation, create you know safe, open, um, accessible social media channels so that people can connect with one another in a healthy and meaningful way. And um, Facebook, this was a bad, this was a bad year for Facebook. Uh, just across the board, you wouldn't know it by looking at the stock price. But when you look at the the the, the business itself, whether uh, the Facebook ads boycott, the call out of misinformation, the FTC and congressional hearings, uh, there's just you know this was a this was a reckoning year for them, and and I think you know. Believe it or not, Facebook is closing in on 20 years. And yeah. that is not that is, that is not a short period of time. They're not some darling startup anymore. They are a real company with real implications. And um, while I don't know what this means yet for marketers, I do know that this will signal a shift in their business practices and operations. And it'll be something that we all need to be aware of, not only professionally, but personally. Um, so, yeah. And I think not only a shift, I remember there was a quote from Mark Zuckerberg, maybe, I don't know, some in the last five years, asking him about what, what were to happen if you had to, you know, break up all these entities. And his point of view was that it would be, I think that the quote was, it would be totally existential, meaning that like they built everything, every business model around eventually pulling all of these pieces together and, and banking on this. So not only is it like going to be a shift and I, we won't, of course, know the extent of what's going on inside the doors, but it just seems like it's a total, total just turn upside down on the head of everything that they had been growing towards the last couple of years. So I, I'm happy to hear it. I think it needed to happen. It just, it's going to be a wild ride for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting, I think, from a marketer's perspective to see how we kind of navigate a world where all these entities are no longer the same and what that means for us from like creating content to programmatic buys and how we that all of that might shift and will definitely have implications for the work that we do yeah absolutely and i think you know it'll be the story of 2021 the reckoning mm -hmm. rebuilding and you know repositioning of the social networks is going to be is going to be a big story as we as we get into 2021 for sure uh interesting news uh, an acquisition um uh, which i think is definitely worth talking about and it's our second thing here is that reddit acquired dub smash now dub smash was a viral sensation for sort of um you know undervalued underseen influencers and creators and it was a space it was a precursor of TikTok. Uh, in many ways. And and if you remember, uh, for people that use Instagram, probably like three or four years ago, you used to see all of these lip syncing, 
uh, videos that your friends and celebrities would make. And uh, Dub Smash was sort of underpinning that. It's a short form video platform for creators. And Reddit, which is all about communities and niche communities and connecting people across the globe with like-minded um, interests, has acquired it. And I think it is an unbelievable acquisition for them. It puts Reddit in a position to go toe-to-toe with the Snaps and TikToks and Instagrams of the world because uh, with such a fully formed community-based network, and now with the power of a creator platform like Dubsmash, uh, it puts Reddit in a very interesting position. Uh, I will say I was very surprised. It felt very unreddit to do something like this. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are two entities that are really well aligned because they both, and, and if you saw what uh, Steve Huffman said, who's the CEO of Reddit, he goes, they are two companies that share a deep rooted respect for how communities come together. And that's what's really interesting. It was built with the notion of community out versus creator in. Um, so Reddit has been trying to find ways to evolve the way that their communities can interact with one another, and this really helps. Um, I still think Reddit's a bit of an enigma for brands, which is uh, what makes it so fascinating to me. But I also know that if you understand your audience and the communities that they're in, Reddit can be quite powerful. Um, so very cool acquisition, very cool, uh, to end the year on, on that note for Reddit and beyond fascinated to see what 2021 brings, uh, a channel like that. So Amanda, a, a true Redditor, uh, Beth, any thoughts on this? You have like the Reddit fan club on this and that says a lot cause it, you're right. It, it's a really interesting and, and kind of. I think, insightful platform. And I think overall, I'm very curious to see how this actually functions and operates. But I I feel this, like what you're saying, Kenny, is almost a shift into more of that cr- creator mindset on that platform, whereas it has always been text, you know, graphics, kind of straightforward information. So as we start to see different ways that not only people on the platform can work within Reddit, but brands can work with Reddit, it's a little bit, it's a step in that book of, um, you know, step in the book of how you can make more kind of creative content and engaging content on the channel. Just curious to see how it, how it all comes together. I know this is kind of off brand, but I'm not super excited about this. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think Reddit's so special just the way it is. And I have kind of admired how they haven't gotten on the bandwagon of merging and adding and evolving. They just like know they've got a good thing and they've done a lot of things this year to make their good thing better. And maybe this will be that and change is hard and scary in a year that's been tough. But the other thing that is really special about Reddit, especially in the work that me and my team does, is its ability to really give us insights about kind of earlier conversations. Because a lot of times Reddit is kind of the precursor to the conversation you'll see on Twitter or kind of cultural rising content. And I think that is because of the way the platform's designed. So I don't know. I I hope this doesn't take away from that like magic that is Reddit and personally the insights that we can get from Reddit. 
I would actually argue that perhaps it more so does because you think about, I know what you mean, like I, I know we use so much of the data that we understand from Reddit and it's also things we've talked about on this podcast, you know, what are our consumer mindsets on each of the platform and, and Reddit is so insightful. I would almost consider, and I don't obviously don't know what the business strategy behind this was, but like if Reddit really is this place that is, you know, the world, the universe, the population at a glance, and there is a large part of the population, I perhaps that's Gen Z, that is not going to Reddit because it's not as visually engaging. They're not creating content. It's not stimulating. It doesn't feel like the other platforms. I almost wonder if pulling these this this demographic in or this kind of creator population in actually rounds out the audience that you have on Reddit to get truer kind of community and a better reflection of what the the world's population, for lack of a better word, includes. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not into this one, but it's not my choice. It's happening. So here I, we go. I'm blindly trust that Reddit, I just, I trust so much that there's something interesting to come out of it. <laughs> the leadership team at Reddit is one of the best in-house channel leadership teams I've ever worked with and really love their vision. You know, Steve uh, has been with the, with the company since day one. Um, you know, we have had Will Katie, who leads strategy uh, on this podcast before. Um, on, you know, we've, we've talked to, the, you know, Jen. There, there's just, their team is so strong. And I can't imagine that this move, which is uncharacteristic, for Reddit was made in any sort of haste. Um, and uh, I'm very curious to see it uh, come to life. Okay. You know, it's, it's going to be something. You got to trust us, yeah. Beth. We know what we're doing I here. Trust we know, we know that they know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Things are falling around me. My podcast studio is collapsing on me. Is that metaphorical or physical? Physical. <laughs> um, all right. Speaking of acquisitions, Twitter acquired the app Squad. So I think this squad should talk about it. Hey, oh, good segue. Yeah, oh, this, oh, we're yeah. clearly in the last game. <laughs> Quit the podcast game. Go we ahead. Are, no. We're clearly in the last couple of weeks of the year because all of these acquisitions, not enough time for everybody to really unpack what they mean. Things getting announced left and right. Twitter just announced that they acquired Squad, which is an app very similar to if you guys have used House Party or um, it's a lot. It looks a lot like FaceTime. It's a video conferencing um, chat where you can talk to friends and you can also screen share and kind of like, you know, dig around in each other's phones if you want to. Um, not super clear on the functionality there, but they announced this through a tweet through their VP of product, Delia Brown, mentioning that not a lot of details about, again, how it works in the platform, but more so positioning it as kind of a merger and bringing the squad team, they mentioned their product design and engineering teams into the Twitter teams um, to kind of build and grow tools together not much information has been really shared about what this looks like on the platform. I think what everybody immediately thought is what happens to Periscope, which is the live streaming app um, through Twitter. And they've confirmed that they they've confirmed that they could, which is barely a confirmation, shut down Periscope as they start to build out what this squad, you know, integration looks like. I think the big difference to note though is that Periscope is their, you know, live um, content extension and squad is kind of a one-to-one -one or one to a couple of friends version of it. On top of that, you also have 
the what we talked about, I think it was last week, which is basically clubhouse like chat rooms coming to the service, which is broadcasting those conversations. So what you're seeing now is three different ways to have a live video or audio conversation feels a little, you know, overkill. I'm sure not all of those are going to make it through 2021. Um, And then, you know, we're obviously coming off of the launch of fleets too. So a lot of changes on the Twitter platform and they've been specifically um, quiet about kind of the strategy and the goal around all of these things. And we've talked so much and I think about Twitter had such, or we discussed Twitter having such a clear vision of what they are as a platform earlier this year. The last couple of months, I think, have thrown things for a loop. Um, And I think everybody's kind of waiting to see, you know, where is Twitter trying to take all of this? And and what does that mean for their day to day? What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't know where this is going. I can't. Twitter is Twitter's all about live, all about live. You know, if you look at any of the activations that we've done on Twitter to date, the work we've done for Frank's Red Hot, the work we've done for Tums, the work we do for Pringles, it is all centered on live reaction to culture and conversation. And I think that this is just Twitter. We are watching, we are taking a news story about an acquisition, which isn't actually the story. Um, And it is a placeholder for the internal machinations that are happening within Twitter to help evolve their live product. They know they survive on live. It's, it it is what they are. You know, it's, um, it's the what's happening was always the prompt. Right. So I I think that this is just going to be, no, let me take a, I'll pull the lens back a tiny bit and we're having hot takes. We're getting to the end of the year. There isn't a social channel that had a better year than Twitter. They were the beating heart of the pandemic conversation. It has brought communities together in the most fascinating of ways. Um, will they be able to maintain the momentum in 2021? Will they be able to develop and evolve their products to keep the hordes of people who have come to their channel uh, on board? I think a refined live product will continue to make Twitter beyond marketable to CMOs and marketing teams and media companies. So I think it is the place. Um, It's where live conversation happens. That's my take. I mean, I'm with both of you. I'm this is just a wait and see for me. Let's see how this turns out. It does make sense with the live piece of their strategy, but I'll be interested to see how adoption actually works throughout 2021. Yeah. And I think the takeaway, I mean, as of right now, again, we'll see how the next six months goes and how they integrate all these into the actual platform and user function. But the takeaway for marketers is is use case here to Kenny's point. Like when you're joining cultural conversations, when you want to, you know, have a a live take on something and and kind of be in that conversation, Twitter's absolutely the place to do it. It will just take the next couple of weeks and months to figure out and, you know, work through strategically what's the right, the right piece of these functionalities to tap into to do that. We will see. All right. Let's move on to our third item here. Oh no, fourth item. Instagram announced Reels Shopping. Very exciting stuff. Um, It's a feature that allows you to shop within Reels. Businesses, creators can now tag products when they create a Reel. 
It also allows creators to add branded content tags to their reels to provide additional transparency. It has that very typical view products tag um, that you've seen on other elements of Instagram. Um, they can shop, you know, currently on Instagram through everything from feed to stories to IGTV to live. Now Reels, which launched in August, is going to be the place where that can happen. It's the TikTok competitor. Not much to dwell on here, but just the continued integration of commerce into the Instagram product. Amanda, Beth, anything you want to throw in and add there? Uh, I mean, YouTube's had this, not to one-up Instagram, but YouTube's had this feature for, I would, I don't know, we should fact check me, at least a year or more. It didn't take off. It wasn't, um, I mean... I don't know if it was the great business driver right away that it needed to be, but that's also a different behavior on YouTube than it is on Instagram. So I, it's hard to use that as a case study for this. Um, I think to your point, probably saw this coming with all the, the slow shift every week to more of a marketplace on Instagram. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how it's utilized and if there are ways that kind of feel unexpected for this. But other than that, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty straightforward functional ad. Yeah, this one to me was like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think they might have a little bit more success than YouTube because of the the brevity of the videos versus YouTube mm -hmm. a lot of times being longer form content. But as an avid Instagram shopper, I don't hate it. Yeah, we know Beth and I have a problem with Instagram shopping by now. <laughs> yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> this will help us. <laughs> True. I do too. <laughs> I have a hat with a G on it that I bought through Instagram. Uh, my friends and I joke around that, um, and if they ever listen to this, they'd get a kick that I'm telling this story. People don't talk about when when men do their online shopping and how crazy our habit is uh, sometimes compared to some of our partners. Um, and we joke around that when things show up that we buy on Instagram that we see um, that our partners get mad at us about, we say, oh, my God, I bought a Kickstarter a few months ago, a year ago, and I didn't even remember it. Showed up. <laughs> I haven't invested in a Kickstarter ever. Um, so <laughs> when the random thing from Instagram shows up, we call it, oh, my God, our thing from Kickstarter came. Um, which is, which <laughs> That's is pretty so funny because we just don't want to get yelled at. Um, so there you go. That's our trend. Um, I'm going to start using that. Yeah. When the box shows up from Bloomingdale's. It's like, it's oh, my Kickstarter is here. Yeah. yeah. Supporting small yeah. business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like uh, well, let's end on a good note. Talk to us, Beth, about Ratatouille the musical. I mean, let's end on the best note. So I have to be honest, this is my favorite story we have ever covered this year on this podcast. Um, partly because it takes one of my favorite animated movies, my love for musical theater, and my obsession with TikTok, puts it all together into the drumroll, please, Ratatouille, a TikTok musical which is debuting on January 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And tickets are ranging from 5 to $50. It's, it's kind of a donation, looks like, situation. Um, but Broadway talent and TikTok talent have come together to actually produce a real musical called Ratatouille the Musical. This has been 
kind of bubbling on TikTok for most of the year. I think it started around June or July this year. And, you know, there's been a lot of Broadway talent and TikTokers and creators who um, haven't gotten to work this year. And so uh, we started hearing songs about Remy the Rat and um, they took off and then a bunch of people started piling on. And it's almost like a crowdsourced musical situation. Uh, It looks fabulous. The music is great. I would recommend anyone who's into musicals just go down a little rabbit hole on TikTok to get yourself excited. Um, But I think it's a huge thing that we're seeing TikTok creators come together with Broadway talent and really put something on. Um, And it's, it's kind of blurring those lines of creator versus, I guess, professional performer. Um, And I'm just so excited. What do you guys think? Uh, my take on this is I've never seen Beth's face light up <laughs> other than speaking about this topic so much. I think it's interesting. I I mean, it's going to be funny. It's going to be cool. I would probably hold on any kind of larger assumptions that TikTok is going to turn into a quibby or have all this crazy kind of content on it. I don't think it's philosophical, but I think it's more so talking about the reinvention of, of content. What how does that come to life? What does it look like? What is the non-traditional way and unexpected way to do that? I mean, you look at the other things that, for instance, the Colonel Sanders Lifetime movie, things like that, that you're like, didn't see that coming, makes total sense, part of culture, bringing something to life in a way that you probably would not have expected I'm to I'm pretty do. sure, isn't it benefiting like the actors? Fun? It's got an altruistic component to it yes. as well, right? Yes. Uh, yes, my bad for not leading with that, the donations from the um, tickets go towards the Actors Fund, which is really important this year as so many actors have been out of work and the Actors Fund provides a lot of benefits and support for that community. When this whole thing is over, I'm going to park my ass in a Broadway theater for like three, Uh, four, I'm going to just like binge Every night I'm going to, I'm going to switch off between a Broadway theater, a movie theater, and like a music venue, just to make sure, just to make sure. (laughs) Yes. God, yes. I would, I would get on that bandwagon, but I think my new child is not going to let me have a date night every night, but we'll get there. Uh, So that, you know, we should be ending these pods with good news. Um, We will have a new friend of the podcast coming to us in what month when's the baby coming in june so sometime in june we're gonna have june 2nd is the date well we are so (laughs) excited for beth and her husband and their the family is growing we are so pumped for you and we can't wait to have a new little listener come summer 2021 yeah you already know the name yeah yeah, we named him after my father who passed away three years Aww. ago. And then so Theodore James. Aww, yeah, amazing. Well, so congratulations cool. to you and the family. What a little legacy. That's so exciting. Uh, <laughs> it feels weird to transition out of that into anything else. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we are mentioned at the top of the show that this is our 49th episode. And we are releasing next week. Our own little baby, 
the 50th episode <laughs> of the Five Things Podcast. It is going to be a look ahead to 2021. We're going to be talking with a few uh, familiar voices and a few new voices. Uh, just to name a few, we have Toby Daniels, the, uh, the, the founder and creator of Social Media Week and the CEO of Crowdcentric Media. Uh, we love Toby. He used to be one of our original hosts on the show back at the beginning. Katy Perry, not pop star Katy Perry, but the VP of marketing from public.com. We have Amanda Getz, who is an incredible, incredible founder and CMO, and she she provides amazing insight. We have some folks from Twitter joining us and a few other special guests. So we really, really hope that you will tune in to hear some of the trends for 2021 that these experts see coming. Um, we also will have Gray Chief Creative Officer Justine Armour on the pod to talk about some trends she's seeing coming up in the creative space. So we're really excited about that as well. So with that, Amanda, thank you for being on the pod. Woohoo! Beth, thank you for being on the pod. My pleasure. I love taking this time with you both uh, each and every week to talk about what we're seeing and what's to come. And we look forward to seeing everyone next week for our 50th episode. With that, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. Thanks, everyone. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.